Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We have a great privilege today, and, and that privilege involves us being able to look into God's Word together uh, and see what God has to say about some things that are very uh, important to us. Uh, important to us because we have to make decisions regarding these things um, every day. And uh, these things that I'm referring to is money and stuff and possessions. We live a life that involves us interacting with all of this stuff. And since we have to make a lot of decisions regarding it, it's, it's no wonder that God communicates to us through His Word many things as it pertains to, to money and the finances. Um, and so this year, as we were, Bruce and I were talking about how to begin this year um, just in a, in a series together, we decided to take two weeks, last week and this one, and to look a little more at what the Bible says about handling our material possessions. Now, this, this is nothing of a comprehensive study, right? Two weeks, a few verses, no way this is comprehensive. But hopefully it kind of whets your appetite to what God would have us to think about our finances. And we've kind of used um, a, a, a metaphor to help lead us into this study, and it, it's really based out of a quote by a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary um, many years ago who went to the jungles of Ecuador to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Aka Indian. And Jim Elliott, along with others, was martyred for his faith uh, as a part of that process um, as a young man. And, and Jim Elliott, in the days leading up to that martyrdom, kept a very diligent journal. And one of the things he wrote in his journal, reflecting on people looking at him like he was crazy for going to the jungles of Ecuador to take the gospel. And Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there are so many applications of that principle in the Christian life um, that I think Jim Elliott got exactly right. But I think finances is one of them. Um, you know, as Christians, as we handle our finances, um, we are no fools who joyfully give what we cannot keep to pay it forward, gaining what we cannot lose in eternity. And uh, so we've been talking about this thing that we've called pay it forward. And Bruce looked at it last week. He talked about the, the fleeting value of the things that we have. And uh, one of the things Bruce said last week that really stood out to me was he talked about uh, the value of counterfeit money. You know, the Confederate dollars that were created during the Civil War era of the United States, how those Confederate dollars became worthless at some point. And if you still had a Confederate dollar today, it would just be a memento. It would be worthless to purchase things that you need. Um, and, and how we have the opportunity to not invest in things that will one day be worthless, but to invest our lives and our possessions and our money in things that are of eternal significance. And so we're going to look at kind of a second installment of this series today, and before we do that, though, I want to pray for us again. Let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these next few minutes that you've set aside for us to look into your word together. Father, we want you to speak to us today through the power of your words. And I pray that you would use me to that end, that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. 
But Father, if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. Father, anything I share today that you would have us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, and we would walk forward in it in faith that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, I want all of us to have a little exercise here together. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach into your purse or your wallet or your pocket or whatever you've got that contains cards of some kind, and I want you to pull out two cards. For some of you, and maybe most appropriately, you pull out two credit cards. Um, others of you are like, I don't have any credit cards. I cut them up. Dave Ramsey told me to. That's great. Maybe you got a debit card. Uh, you're like, I don't, I don't believe in that. Mark of the beast, no debit cards. Maybe, maybe it's a driver's license, whatever it is. Some kind of card that you could hold in your hands. Take out two of them. One in your right hand and one in your left. If you have no cards, God bless you. Uh, but grab two pieces of paper, something to represent two cards. Maybe take some communication cards out of the seat back in front of you. Take some cards in your hand, one in your right and one in your left. And I want you to imagine that these cards are not what is written on them. You know what they are. Imagine that they're not what's written on them, but imagine that these cards are Visa prepaid cards like you buy in the checkout line at Walmart. You know those cards that you can, you can buy and then you can load onto them some kind of monetary value that is then accepted everywhere Visa is, is accepted? Uh, you can use them as, as currency. Maybe you gave one as a Christmas gift. Maybe you got one as a Christmas gift. But imagine that these are two cards that can be loaded with some kind of a value. And I want you to take the one in your right hand. I want you to hold it up. The one in your right hand. That's the one we're going to talk about right now. The card in your right hand. And on this card, you can, you can put them down. <laughs> you guys look great, though. Uh, on, on this one that's in your right hand, we're actually going to load onto it negative balances. And you're like, wow, thanks for the gift, all right? But we're going to actually take withdrawals from that card, and it's starting with zero, so immediately it's going to be in the negative. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about sin that you have committed in your life. And every sin that you've committed, there's a negative withdrawal on that card, okay? I'm not going to tell you the value of it. Theologically, we could say that all sin is sin, all sin separates us from God, but in our emotional life, in our emotional world, certainly different sins feel worse than others, right? We have deeper regret over different sins. I'm going to let you determine the value you're going to deduct. If you're like me, this card has a tremendously negative value. I mean, I'm in the billions and billions of negative dollars. been loaded on there. You got that in your right hand. This card contains all of the information of your sinful life. Who would you feel comfortable giving this card to? They get the card, they can scan it, they can see everything that you've ever done wrong, they they, they, they would see video of it, they would, they would feel the shame of it, they could see the value of it, how depressing it is for you. Who would you give that to? Like, I'm not giving it to anybody, it's going right back in the pocket. That's what you hold in your right hand. Now, we're going to talk about the card in your left hand. 
See the card that's in your left hand. Now this card in your left hand, imagine this is the Visa gift card, and and on this card, we're actually going to put something positive. On on this card that's in your right hand, um, we're going to put your net worth. And and the way that we're going to do that, we're very helpful to you today, is we're going to go and we're going to clean out your bank accounts. Your checking account converted to cash. Your savings account converted to cash. Your, your IRA cashed out and brought in in, in bags. Um, your house sold. Whatever value you have, brought in in cash. Your cars sold. Your clothing sold. Everything in your house, every trinket, doodad, you name it, cashed out brought in, and all of the value of all of that stuff is scanned onto that card. Now, let me ask you, everything you have is on this card. Who would you trust that card to? Spouse, maybe? Kids, maybe? Maybe. Good friend? Maybe. Nobody? Maybe. But in your hand, you hold two cards, one of which every sin you've ever committed, the other, every possession that you own. In your pocket, though it looks like two small pieces of plastic, you now have the sum total of your sin and the sum total of your possessions. Now, put them back in your pocket and keep them close. Those are two valuable cards. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two things from a very pertinent passage of Scripture to these two cards that are in your pocket. Two things from an interaction that Jesus has with a rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. We're going to see two things quickly as we look at God's Word together today that hopefully will help us to understand what we do with these cards. The first thing that we are going to do as we look at this story of the rich young ruler found in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 27, the first thing that we're going to see is that This passage gives us an understanding of the gospel. This passage gives us an understanding of the gospel. I believe that that Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 27, probably as much as any passage in the New Testament, helps us to understand the nature of the good news that Christ brings pertaining to our salvation, pertaining to this card in our right pocket, this card in our right hand this card representing our sin. I think this passage does it as well as anything. And so we're going to look at a deeper understanding of the gospel pertaining to this right-handed card here in these verses. Well, let's look at them. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. The very first thing we see in Luke 18 is that this ruler comes up to Jesus. It says, And a ruler asked Jesus... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, I think that's a, a very appropriate question because I think it speaks to a very deep desire that all of us have. It's the desire to get the God question in life right. It's the desire to please God at some level. You know, why are there so many religions all over the world? Why is it in many ways that we gather here today and look into God's Word? Why is it that we, we spend our lives trying to figure out what right and what wrong is? Why is it that, that so many books are written about what happens to people after they die? Why is there so much reflection, so much conversation about God in this world? The reason why I believe is because God is our Creator. And we spend a, a huge amount of time in our quiet moments thinking and wondering about how we please God, how we receive blessing from God, how we live in fellowship with God. Uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks a question that people have been asking since the beginning of time. How do we get right with him? How do we know that we're right with God? The rich young ruler asks this question, and this is the question that we have also. How is it that we are made right with God? Well, Jesus answers this question as he interacts with the rich young ruler, beginning in verse 19 on down through verse 22 in a very interesting way. It says, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Down in verse 23, but when the rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, if, if people have this desire to be right with God, as a people we have a desire to live a life that is pleasing to God, Jesus defines for us a huge problem. What Jesus basically says is that the standard that is necessary for pleasing God is set by God, and it's unattainable by human means. The standard that is required for us to please God is set by God. Jesus answers that very simply at the beginning of that section, right? He says, why do you call me good? Because the man had called him good teacher. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Implication, rich young ruler, you're not good. And if I'm not God, I'm not good either. Because the standard that is set for understanding what right and wrong is, what good, what is good and what is not good, that standard is God himself. It's not some sliding scale judged on a curve where some humans are better than others. It's a very clear line. God is good and all else is fallen. And so Jesus says, God is the one who sets the standard for good. And the problem with that for you uh, is that even though you think you are living out all of these commands, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, 
you're actually coming up short. Jesus goes through a representative list of the commandments. He says, you know these commandments, don't steal, don't murder, don't all these things. And you know, I think it's, it's really kind, actually, what Jesus does for this man. Jesus didn't bring out the big guns, which is the first few commandments. Have no other gods before me. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. He goes through all these, these things about uh, the first few commandments. Jesus skips over those because when we think about living rightly with God every second of our day, we all fall short. He goes, he goes to the more on human plane, the way we relate to one another kind of commands to demonstrate this man's sinfulness. And he says, even in your interactions with others, how are you doing in terms of murder and, and theft and all these things? And, and the man says, this is great news because I have kept all of these commandments since I was born. In a sense, what the rich young ruler was, was thinking was, I know that there are some things on this card that might keep me out, but I want to know how I get a deposit large enough to cover these. And Jesus just said, I get a deposit large enough to cover these by not doing some things that I've never done. Therefore, I'm going to be okay. But in reality, Jesus was just helping this man think. See, throughout the the Gospels, as Jesus interacted with people, he didn't define morality as their world defined it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you have heard it said to not commit adultery. But I tell you that any man who looks after a woman in lusts has already committed adultery in his heart. In other words, you think you've never committed adultery, but have you really never committed adultery? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you have heard it said to not commit murder. But I tell you that any man who has gotten to anger with another man has already committed murder in his heart. So you still think that you're not a murderer? See, what Jesus is doing is he's helping this man think through the fact that this man is not as good as he thought he was, that the price was actually higher than this man was able to pay. And the rich young ruler was not necessarily a bad guy. He just wasn't good enough. See, he had a card in his right pocket, just as you have a card in your right pocket, and the reality is that the the Debits that have occurred on that card are so great that there's no way for you or I or the rich young ruler to ever make payment enough to cover those things. That's why Jesus says, well, then there's just one more thing I want you to think about. And he asks him a question that we're going to look at in a minute. And, and upon reflecting on that, the rich young ruler walked away very, very sad. Because though he could do some things, he couldn't do all of what Christ was asking him to do, and he realized that he had this deficit, he had this card that had a negative balance that he was not going to be able to pay because he was unwilling or unable or whatever, and he walked away from Christ very sad. So we have a desire to please God, but the standard with which it is required for us to please God and live in right relationship with Him is so high that no human can attain it. The rich young ruler found this out. But it it goes on. And Jesus has some continued interaction with his disciples that is very, very instructive for us. See, he goes on, and in verse 24, Jesus 
begins reflecting on his conversation with this man. And he says, Jesus, seeing that the rich young ruler had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Jesus answers, verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And the point here is that the standard that is necessary for pleasing God, though unattainable by humans, is fully attainable by God. And He offers to make that payment on our behalf. See, Jesus wasn't just talking in theory here. Jesus was saying that though it is impossible for someone who is depending upon their own resources, their own righteousness, their own lack of sin, their own discipline, whatever, though it's impossible for those people to be made right with God. It is totally possible for a person to be made right with God because God can make it happen. Jesus knew that just a few days after this conversation that he was going to go to a cross and be nailed to it, dying so that our sin might be exchanged for his righteousness. See, Jesus was God himself, so Jesus was good. And my sin and your sin and the sin of the rich young ruler, if he just would have accepted what Christ was offering, could have been placed upon Christ. The deposit that is necessary to cancel this card out was too great for the rich young ruler to pay, but it was fully possible for Christ to pay. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus dies on the cross, you know what he does? He goes Dave Ramsey on that card. He takes out scissors on Calvary and he cuts it up. And he says, that which you are unable to pay, I am fully willing to pay so that you might have a relationship with me, so that God might be pleased with you so that God might be pleased with me, so that we might have a relationship with Him that would not end, but would go on into eternity. See, that is the gospel. That is the good news. The God of the universe comes to us, and He says, I want your card. Will you give it to me? And if you give it to me, I'll fully pay for it and cut it up so that we can always have a free relationship. And I'm going to do that in Christ. Now let me ask you, with this card that's in your right hand, take it out again, this card that's in your right hand, would you willingly give that to Christ? Have you willingly given that to Christ? I know for many people in this room, the answer is a, is a resounding yes. That at some point, we've come to a conviction in life that our only hope for eternity is not in us making incremental deposits to try to remove this debt, but it's in us giving it over to Christ who cuts it up, makes full payment, and invites us into fellowship with Him forever. We willingly give this up because we understand that, that Christ has come to give us life, not take it from us. 
He's come to make payment for our sins, not ask us to make incremental payments towards our righteousness. Because of the character of Christ, we're fully willing to take that card in our right hand and hand it over to Him. And if you haven't done that, I would invite you at some point today, at some point this morning, before we end this time, to to symbolically in prayer go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I give you the debits of my sin and ask you to make a deposit of Christ's righteousness so that I might be pleasing to you. See, that's the transaction that the rich young ruler missed. But that's the transaction that all of us in this room who know Christ have freely done in our lives. Now, let's talk about the other card in our pocket. Let's talk about the card that has all of our net worth on it. Everything liquidated and placed on this card. Jesus talks to the rich young ruler And he makes an incredible statement to him. He basically says, I want you to follow me 100%. He's asking the rich young ruler to follow Christ 100%. He says this to him in verses 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. You see, Jesus was asking the rich young ruler to give the card in his left hand over to him. Jesus was asking him to take all of his resources, which we know from verse 23 were substantial. We know, you know, he was known as a rich young ruler. This was a loaded down card, and Jesus asked for it. He said, take that card, the liquidated material resources that you have, and and give it over to me. Now, now what, what does that mean? For the rich young ruler, it meant, I'm willing to follow Christ up to a point, but but no further. I'm willing to be right with God insofar as it doesn't impact what is in my left pocket. But what does it mean? Well, I'll tell you, when I've read this passage in the past, this has been my posture with it. I can't wait till Bruce teaches on that. I can't wait till I hear a really good message on that that I can point other people back to. Um, Because it's, it's such a challenging thought to think through. It's such a challenging passage to read. It's it's far easier to read it and go, well, it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means, therefore go and be blessed and be happy. But as I read it and I I saw the connection with what was in my right pocket with what was in my left pocket, I began to to sense a message that I really felt like we, we ought to talk about a little bit today. You see, Jesus was asking the rich young ruler Who was the ultimate God of his life? Who was the ultimate authority in his life? What was he really living his life for? Was he really living his life for himself, or was he really living his life for God? Was he really living his life for what he could acquire and and what that would mean to him, or was he living his life in 
a servant fellowship with the Savior. Jesus cuts to the quick of it by asking him the thing that is, is the biggest competition in his life for his, his faith in God. He, he talks about his material things and he says, would you be willing to give all of that up and come and follow me? And, and the rich young ruler uh, probably was thinking about a variety of things at, at that point. You know, he, he probably was, was thinking about you know, this card represents his security. Our, our money represents our security. Our savings account makes us feel good when the car doesn't start. He was probably thinking about his, his provision for his family and the lifestyle maybe that they had become accustomed to. He, he, was, he was probably thinking about his own personal comfort and the things he enjoyed doing, that giving this card over at that point would seem like the end of all of that. And he was unwilling to give that up. You know, the, the, the honest truth of the matter is that, that many of us have a tighter grip on this card than we do on this one. We hang on to this because, not because necessarily we're totally materialistic, but we hang on to it because of what it represents. It represents so many things that are deeply important to us that we think that money ultimately will be the route that will provide those things for us. And in in an interaction with the rich young ruler, Christ lays that bare. He says, who ultimately are you going to trust? God or your stuff? And the rich man was unwilling to do it. And you know, when we think about this whole area of of what that means for us and and, and of of giving in our our own lives, I think that one of the things we struggle with as Christians is we think that this is an unreasonable request that Christ is making. We think it's unreasonable because somewhere along the way, we've developed a percentage that's not 100%. We've developed a percentage that says, God wants 10%. Is this gross or net? or God wants 10%, and then 90% is mine. If maybe you've been challenged at other times, God wants 15%, but 85% is mine. Maybe you've really gotten radical. God wants 20 or 25 or 30 or 35, whatever it is, percent, and, and the rest of it is mine. But, but the reality is that that thinking is, is somewhat flawed. The reality is that God doesn't want a less of a percentage of us. God wants 100% of us. But, but here's the thing, and this is so important for us to grasp. Why do you trust God with this card? The card of your right pocket, the card of your sin. You trust it because you trust the character of Christ who came to give and not to take. Who came to give us life and not take it away. Who came to give us righteousness. We trust God with this card because we believe that he's a giver. But when we come over to this side, we fail to trust him because we forget that he's a giver. We don't want to give him this card because the thought is he will take it all and leave us with nothing. But when we make the flip to understand that when God wants it all, that doesn't mean that he's not going to give it all back. And he gives it back in different ways, right? We say, God, all of what I have is yours. He gives it back to us and a place to live. 
God, all of what I have is yours, and he gives it back to us in ways to care for our family. All of what I have is yours, and he gives it back to us in, in, in ways to be generous and give within a church context. We, we give all of what we have to him, and he gives it back to us in an opportunity to bless those who are in physical need. We give all of what we have to him, and he gives it back to us in a, a way to enjoy this world in which he created See, we're fearful to give him 100% because we feel like he's going to take it and sit on the other side of a fence and go, now are you miserable? We don't do that with this card. And I think the point of the story is we shouldn't do it with this one either. That what God is asking for us is a heart attitude that says, Lord, you are who you are and I will trust you with everything. And I'm not going to break down for you exactly what that's going to look like for you. I'm merely going to challenge you to go home and to spend some time. Lord, if, if 100% of what I have is yours, what do you want me to do with it? Not 10%, not 5%, not 3%, not 20%. All of what I have is yours. What do you want to do with it through me? How do you want to be generous through me in the lives of others and provision for family. It's all yours, God. You've given me all this. What do, what do you want to do with these things? See, the hope of this passage is that we can trust him because we have a God who is a giver in both the right and the left hand. Now, I want to, to, to end this morning um, with this. I want to end by giving us some inspiration and some power to live into what we just talked about. I want to end by talking about how the God who gives and doesn't take is a God that we can trust. And we have a picture for that in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 9, in the midst of a statement to encourage and inspire believers to be generous. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What he's saying is that Jesus didn't grasp onto the wealth that he had, but he freely poured it out so that you and I might be blessed. Jesus is generous. God is a giver. And the same Christ that died on the cross is the same Jesus that lives in our hearts, that inspires you and I on to generosity. The reason why we're a giving people is because we have a giving God who lives within us and we're created in his image. See, our generosity is not just manufactured, and it's not a generosity that says, how much do I give and then I can stop, but it's a generosity that goes beyond that because we have a generous God who lives within us. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters, uh, in his chapter on money, gives an illustration about Andrew Carnegie. I want to conclude our time by reading this, and then I'm, I'm going to pray. Um, on page 68 of his book, he, 
It says, Andrew Carnegie became one of the wealthiest men in the world when his steel company, the forerunner of U.S. Steel, became the most profitable business enterprise in the world. Early on in his success, at only age 33, Carnegie took a ruthless evaluation of his own heart, and he produced a note-to-self memorandum. This is what that memorandum said. Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the, most, one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately, therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer, overwhelmed by business cares, and with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time, must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. I will resign business at 35. But during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and in reading systematically. Keller goes on, The candor and self-knowledge in this note is remarkable. In one of his biographers, Joseph Frazier commented, Neither Rockefeller nor Ford nor Morgan could have written this note, nor would they have understood the man who did. Nevertheless, despite his insight into his own heart, Carnegie obviously did not resign business two years later and many of the very character-degrading effects he feared worked themselves out in his life. Keller ends the chapter this way. Andrew Carnegie knew that money was an idol in his heart, but he didn't know how to root it out. It can't be removed, only replaced. It must be supplanted by the one who, though rich, became poor, so that we might truly when Christ is on the throne of our lives, when we have given him this card, and we come to understand his generosity and his love and the fact that he is a giver and not a taker. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time that you have given us to look at your word, and we thank you for the challenge that we found there. Father, I pray that we would be people who would um, lean into this and not away from it, that we would not leave this place um, and forget what we heard, but Father, that we would leave this place and reflect upon what it would look like for us to give you the cards in both our right and our left pocket. Father, that we would trust you with our sin, but we would also trust you with our lives as well. We would trust you with eternity, but we would trust you with today. Father, thank you that you are a giving God. We pray that you would guide us as we live out your principles and your power in our day. We pray these things in Jesus.